Welcome into Tailgate. Austin Gale here and Mike Renner in Mobile, Alabama, the new meeting room. We were in the boardroom yesterday. We're in the president's room today at our wonderful hotel in Mobile. We're going to look at the winners and losers from all three days of practices. We're recording this right after practice, Thursday, February 3rd at 626. Let's get it. Mike, before we get into the Senior Bowl and the practices, obviously what you come to this city for, yeah. I kind of want to set the stage for you know, what media, coaches, GMs, scouts all do when they're not at practice, right? I think it's important to identify you know, the, the wins after practice because I think they're pretty good. Well, I think just kind of setting the stage for like what you see on the field too mm-hmm. is helpful in terms of like, like when, how you know, like all the reports are, you know, Mike Tomlin, it's like a bad, poorly kept secret that he was eyeing Malik Willis because kind of how it's set up at Hancock Whitney Stadium is every like all the media are in the stands on one side of the football field. And then pretty much all the high end personnel. Uh, so there, so each NFL team gets, I think it was five passes for the field. And then the rest of them are up in like the press boxes and the actual boxes of the stadium. All the scouts and whatever are crammed into these tiny boxes that they all have for themselves. But the high end guys, whether it's, you know, what usually head coach, GM, uh, director of, you know, college scouting, whatever, are all there on the football field as well. And so you can tell who they are literally following around practice. Like yeah, you can yeah, see yeah. their movements, where they're at. And I saw, you know, Mike Tomlin literally hop in and start running a drill with a defensive lineman looking right at Travis Jones, the Connecticut defensive tackle, like trying to help him out. And it's like, oh, maybe he has some interest in this dude, maybe playing nose tackle for the Pittsburgh Steelers in the future and obviously following around Malik Willis to see what he was doing as well. I think Tomlin's one of the more obvious situations, right? Where the coach is on the football field, he's going drill to drill and specifically looking at guys. I think 90% of the other coaches that were on the field and PFF was able to get on the field. Shout out to the senior bowl. 90% of it, correct me if I'm wrong, is it's one coach and another shoulder to shoulder like this, kind of just like whispering power stance. It's power stances, wide base. And you're just like whispering (laughs) takes or like whispering. And sometimes it's not even from the same team, right? Cause all these scouts have like talked to each other at one event or another, or they used to work for this team and now they work for a new team. So much of it is definitely this small talk that does generate the buzz, right? When you hear, you know, when you hear big reporters saying what I'm hearing is this, what I'm hearing is that it is these conversations that you see on the sideline first starting at the East West Shrine Bowl, then the Senior Bowl, then it gets into the Combine, these pro days, and that's how these rumors start to go. So I do think we've already heard some of the Tomlin, Malik Willis stuff, and among others as well. But then you don't get the rumors actually kind of slip up and get let loose until later in the day when yes. you, everyone there's like a kind of four-block area of Mobile, Alabama, which mm-hmm. is very similar to a, I don't want to call it a poor man's New Orleans, but it's like it's very much like New Orleans. It has very New Orleans feel to it. But if New Orleans, New Orleans culture, if New Orleans was a city of, you know, 100,000, yeah. yeah, exactly. Like it, it is just a much smaller version in terms of uh, how it is. And so there's probably about a three block radius where all the bars are filled to the brim with NFL personnel, uh, media, whatnot, going uh, and getting hammered. Yeah, that's true. At Beats last some, night. Some, actually, some of that. I, I don't even know if I told you the story. At Beats last night, we get into the bar. I'm waiting in line to use the bathroom. And the Beats, there's only two bathrooms, and they're both like single bathrooms. It's not yeah. like a stall and urinal situation. And I'm waiting in the bathroom, 
and it's a long line in the men's all all dudes oh yeah that's another thing too the ratio is like 95 it's like 98 percent dudes okay like there are no women out here at the scene of all at beats it is all men that is it i don't think there's any other bar experience in my calendar year where it's that you know biased of a ratio yeah even combine is far more yeah well, Indianapolis is like a real city, yeah. right? Like Mobile That's obviously it. significantly smaller. But so I'm in line for this bathroom and this guy is like taking a while, taking a while. I'm waiting. And then I hear him washing his hands and he's drying them with the air dryer. It's like, hey, dude, just fucking put it on your pants. Let's get out of here. Then he takes a second dry. This guy's making sure he's coming out clean. And I'm like, dude, why is this guy drying his hands? It's piece of shit then he comes out it's mark Brunell. <laughs> mark Brunell comes out the coach the, the quarterback's coach for the lions and i he like you know he said hi I, I don't think he heard me but i was like okay i need to reel it in we need to reel it in um but yeah no it's, it's been fun mingling with those guys and talking to those guys you meet a lot of media right so much of it is media guys that work with the ringer the athletic espn even guys who are working with mm-hmm. some of the smaller outlets like locked on and um you know other things like that that actually reminds me of a story from earlier in the week that i didn't tell on one of the earlier podcasts but I'm going to the bathroom at Hancock Whitney Stadium um, and wash my hands. And I'm trying to like rush back to get on watch because I'm in the middle of practice. Had to go pee. So I wash them in like one quick wipe dry, get out. And a guy stops me right out, stops <laughs> me right outside. Is like, hey, Mike Renner? I'm like, yeah, how's it going? Shake his hand. And my hand is dripping. Wet. Oh. And when I shake his hand. I, I completely like was like, oh, shit. As soon as I grabbed his hand, I could tell and he could tell. And it was not great. You know, you were, we're talking stories. Should we talk about the story from two years ago? Oh, okay. That's that's more actual um, bodily fluids. <laughs> we, go we, to the, we go to the beats two years ago, so in 2020, after you know, right before COVID obviously hit. Yeah. So this is in February or January, February of 2020. We're going to the senior bowl, and this guy's walking around with white pants, and it's dude central. It's late, 12:31, and there's like an obvious, obvious stain on the back of his pants, like in the area where it would be poop. And it's like, <laughs> there's no other way around it. Right. And like, there's only three nights in this week where you get to go to beats and you get to network. Right. So much of this event is networking, right? Like there's content out of it. You talk to yeah. players, you talk to coaches. I would argue 90% of the value is coaches talking to coaches, media, talking to media, networking and trying to gain more information and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So really this guy obviously is prioritizing, the networking at Beats over changing his pants. Over and- clean undies. <laughs> <laughs> so that was. Who hasn't had to make that decision the classic, you know, at some point in their life. The classic like pointing like, dude, did that guy poop? Like, and it was a good time. I mean, like you went by him and it, he, sh- he did. He had shit his pants and smelled. It's, it's, it's an incredible time out here. As you guys could tell, this has been a fantastic trip. No poop yet, but you don't know that. And speaking of. I mean, we still got another night. If not more. <laughs> whether. whether uh, what, what are your goals tonight? What are you going? You were going out. What are your goals? Not to poop, obviously. Not to poop. I don't know. I want to. I was going to meet with some of the Saints staff. I haven't seen those guys since they were at Shrine Bowl too. Um, the Saints staff was fun. And those that, guys lit it up. That we guy gets at, after it. We <laughs> met him at uh, at a bar after the on uh, the tailgate tour after the LSU Florida game. And those are good dudes. They were good dudes. Yeah. Uh, I, <laughs> they were good dudes. Uh, let's get into our biggest winners and most disappointing on the senior bowl. Before we do, the presenting sponsor of the Tailgate Podcast is DraftKings. The moment we've been waiting for since September is finally here. In honor of the big game, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56, is giving new customers 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. DraftKings now. DraftKings Sportsbook is now live, live in New York, meaning you can bet for almost a third of the country. If Sportsbook isn't in your state yet, play DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contest for Super Bowl 56. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF and get 56 to 1 odds on either team. 
Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code PFF at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56. 21 years or older, see DraftKings.com Sportsbook for a full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Gambling problem called 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call the TN Red Line 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7777. In New York, call 877-8-H-O-P-E-N-Y. Now, before we get into biggest winners and losers or fallers or most disappointing, it's important. Probably a better way to phrase disappointing this. is probably the best way to phrase this, right? You go to the Senior Bowl with high expectations for a lot of these guys. Yes, guys yes, that yes. are top 100, top 150 players on PFF's draft board. They show up, get to go toe-to-toe with some of the best prospects in this class. I think in an article from The Athletic, they wrote that 85% of the people at the Senior Bowl last year got drafted. And I think that number could be even higher this year. These are a lot of talented players. You go in with high expectations. It's okay to say... Some of these guys may be disappointed while others obviously rose to the occasion. Let's start with the quarterbacks, right? Have a ton of talent in the quarterback room here in the senior bowl. Stuff that I think every single major media outlet has talked about is just how good mm-hmm. this group of senior bowl quarterbacks is because we have five of the top six right now. Malik Willis of Liberty, Sam Howell of North Carolina, Bailey Zappi of Western Kentucky, Kenny Pickett of Pittsburgh, Desmond Ritter of Cincinnati, and then Carson Strong of Nevada. Five of those six guys are top six quarterbacks on PFS draft board. The only one not in attendance is Matt Corral. And get this big six winner. Those guys are top seven. Six. Oh, <laughs> you love to see that. Um, I was talking to Doug Hyde reporter yeah. here at PFF. And one of the quotes that he got from, I think it was a scout was saying the biggest winner here at the senior bowl is Matt Corral. Cause some of these quarterbacks have not yes. looked like all that great, right? Like they have not separated themselves. No one's coming out of this. Here's, I mean, there might be of these quarterbacks, maybe you have a higher opinion on Malik Willis coming out than maybe you did going in. But there are a lot of these guys that kind of like either just met expectations. But for you, maybe not Matt Corral. Who's the biggest winner of this week? I think it was Malik Willis. And wow. Only because Mike Tomlin loved him. That drew a lot no, of the, Yeah, I have to admit you drew a lot of the buzz, though. No, I think the arm stood out. Uh, just this arm strength. And obviously, so the zebra tracking data has gone back since 2018. Tracking ball speeds, player speeds, whatnot. He had the fastest throw of any quarterback over that time span, which obviously included guys like Jordan Love and Justin Herbert, who have big arms in their own right. He had a 74-mile-per-hour throw, which is, like I said, the fastest of anyone over that time span. And even just any throw he was making was a tick and noticeably faster than guys with strong arms. Like Sam Howell, Carson Strong, those guys have cannons in their own right, You know, plus arms by NFL standards even. And Malik Willis was a plus, plus, plus. Like it was legitimately stood out and i think just the comfortability with an offense that wasn't like what he was running at liberty whatsoever was there by the by day two and by the end of the week for certain so i will say though if you go pff draft guide read what is the biggest thing that he can improve that he needs to improve it says willis pocket presence is still an issue slight pressure causes him to fully break out of play structure playing playing quicker in more on schedule have to be a point of emphasis. That is what I wrote about him as the biggest thing he needs to improve in the draft guide. You cannot tell that whatsoever in a situation like this. Of course. This is, this is not, you know, you are in practice. You are not getting hit. You can hold the ball however the hell long you want, and you're not going to be, you know, quote unquote, under pressure. So still not, didn't get to see that aspect of it, but I do think there is some, some, some value to be gleaned from his performance in that, he was under pressure a lot at Liberty. Like yeah. he had a dog shit offensive line. And so like just getting him into a relatively better situation, he did look 
night and day in terms of just how comfortable he was playing from the pocket. I, I would agree with you 100%. I think ultimately what comes of this too is you're going to more consistently see Malik Willis as you know people's QB1 and consistently mocked as the number one quarterback in the draft. I think Benjamin Albright tweeted earlier that the Steelers are locking in, right? Mike Tomlin wants Malik Willis. They're going to have to trade up a lot higher from where they're at if they want to go get Malik Willis. I think the NFL's view of him is moving up and up really as the weeks go on. I think it's easy to pick Malik Willis. I could have agreed with you here, but I want to add someone else. I want to add Desmond Ritter. Desmond Ritter of the University of Cincinnati I did not have super high expectations on Ritter. I don't. I feel like we've talked a lot about Malik Willis, we've talked mm-hmm. a lot about Sam Howell, Matt Corral, but Ritter man has come in look very comfortable, and he can spin it too, right? Like maybe he doesn't have this Malik Willis level arm talent, yeah. but I do think he has enough on the ball. I think he was one of two quarterbacks according to Zebra Technology that had a throw go over seventy miles per hour. Like he can put some spin on the ball. I think he looked good in the rainy practice today. There was some wind in the indoor facility. I think Desmond Ritter solidified his status of being like really good, right? I think a lot of people, even when we had Nate Tyson from The Athletic, talked about he's got a high floor, right? Like he is going to come in and know how to set protections and has done a lot of things for a long time at the University of Cincinnati. And I still think he has room to improve. So I think Desmond Ritter came out of this week. I think more people are going to have a positive opinion on Ritter than people did have coming in. Yeah, I mean, I I liked him coming in in the draft guide. He got grade-wise first slash second right on that borderline of that. So I was a fan of his. So I didn't really... I guess he didn't. So, like, these winners, losers are kind of about expectations going in. Like, some of the offensive linemen there look like dog shit, but we didn't expect them to look mm-hmm. good. So, like, we're not going to dog on them and be like, hey, they're a loser. It's like, mm, well, that was what we expected. So, the guy I will highlight that as a, like I said, most disappointing for me at the quarterback position was Kenny Pickett. Not only the hand size, which was kind of something that was known going into this, but I thought he had just visually the weakest arm of the bunch the weakest arm in the group there, including Bailey Zappi throughout the week. He had struggled mightily to play in the rain. Like that was actually an issue. That day two of practice for him was ugly at times. And then just no high end. Like I think everyone had, everyone in the quarterback position had a throw that they put on tape where I was like, okay, damn, like that's, that's real. That's a nice pick except for Kenny Pickett. Like he just didn't have a great week of practice sadly. And how much of that arm talent, you, know, you brought up that he does, maybe had the weakest arm of anyone here. How much of that is just like getting that grip on the ball, right? Like he, he, there was a couple throws in the red zone where he just completely like sails. It goes way Got above people's head. And it's just like it's getting away from his hand. I don't know. I don't want to focus too much on the hand size stuff, but it did. <laughs> it did show up, right? You did see it in the at least in the times that we, we watched him this week. Uh, again, it's hand size for the vast majority of quarterbacks is an issue. It's the outliers for any sort of physical physical measurement where you're like where you, it raises a flag. And for him to to have that and then look the way he did, that flag's still up. That yeah, flag's yeah, still fucking yeah, that's waving. A, that's a great point. I had, I had Pickett as my biggest loser as well. Running back. We've talked a ton about all-star balls and how it's not always super easy to glean a ton of information from the running back opportunities you get at the senior ball, specifically yeah. in practice. But I know you came away really impressed with Jerome Ford of Cincinnati. Yeah, I, I like him for a number of reasons. I think he's an explosive athlete. And I thought of him kind of as more of a speed back at Cincinnati, but I think he came here and showed me a lot in terms of his receiving ability, like a little more wiggle than I thought to get open as a receiver and then some more natural hands to where that was kind of the box that I wanted to see ticked and he ticked it. And so that I already had, a, like I said, pretty high opinion on of, of him, but I think he's pretty firmly a top five running back in this class coming away from this. I think he was most impressive this week too, right? I think Jerome Ford came in was the most impressive this week. However, 
I want to give some highlights or give a shout out to Damian Pierce yeah. of Florida. He's not going to be everyone's cup of tea. He's a little mm. small, five foot nine, but he's not a little small. That dude's a fucking short, a little, a little short, short, yeah. little short. But he's two hundred twenty pounds, five foot nine, two twenty, and held up so well, specifically in the pass protection drills. He was consistently like called out to go into pass protection and go against some of these bigger linebackers and held his own really, really consistently. So super excited about what Damian Pierce has done. And I know Trevor has had time to talk to the Florida back and loves his personality, loves how engaging he is. And then the addition to that, I thought he looked good as a pass catcher as well. I think Damian Pierce made himself some money this week. Yeah, his work in pass protection had to have turned some heads. It had to have, because coaches love that. Yeah, exactly. That's coaches need, you can't see the field on certain downs if you can't do that. And he quite clearly can do that. He had the highlight of the end, end of Tuesday. He practice ended by him just stonewalling DeMarco Jackson on a blitz pickup. That was just very, very impressive. So I think he can come in, and now he never was a bell cow at Florida, but he can come in and be that guy on third downs for whoever, whichever team you want. Oh, whoa. Yawning. Wow. Nice, how about some of Get the mo- How about some of the most disappointing running back? Are you yeah, the most disappointing back? to me was Arizona State's Rashad White. Um, I had high hopes for him as a receiver, and thought with just kind of his physical skill set that he could even move to receiver. And the hands I, I thought were great. Like he still does, but just so terribly raw in terms of what he's doing as a route runner. I, I, like I said, I think the physical ability could still be there, but like indecisive routes like not yeah, even yeah. it's just so wholly uncrisp to where he's never done it looks like he's just never done anything in that regard so uh love the natural hands love the you know natural running ability in the open field that he possesses but that this guy can't be like a starting back with kind of that skill set he he's like a project at running back which is almost something you'd never say and especially a guy who's a senior coming up I don't think I had like an overly disappointing running back beyond Rashad White. I think I could have slotted Rashad White into it, especially after we watched his film together and watched yeah. some of those routes. It's like, oh my gosh. But I will say Jeremiah Hall, the tight end fullback, six foot two, two forty-eight. I think he came in a little bit lighter than that. But Jeremiah Hall struggled to create separation as a pass catcher, wasn't overwhelmingly great in pass protection. And there were other like a handful of other girls too in special teams where like you just didn't see a lot of flash. From him, I think Jeremiah Hall, I won't call him disappointing because I didn't have high expectations for him on the week, but I will say it wasn't a great week for Hall. How are you going to dog a fullback like that? That's on They're me. just out there trying to you know, live their best life. That's on me. I was trying to just differentiate from just dogging on white back to back, but I do think that Hall could have had a better week, but yeah. it did not pan out. Wide receiver, go ahead and give me your winner. I'm going to go Jalen Tolbert. I think came in with high expectations, the South Alabama wide receiver, and just met him. And so in the class where... I don't know. There might not be another guy in this that was down here that gets drafted on day two even. So I guess hard for me to really call anyone else really a super winner than at that point, even if like Memphis Calvin Austin looked solid, looked like that the speed and sort of dynamism is real for him, but he's just tiny. Um, but Tolbert looks like the one guy coming out of this where it's like, yeah, that guy can be a starting one or two in the NFL. Yeah, Calvin Austin, five foot seven, 173 pounds. He had some really impressive reps with the short area quickness, but 
obviously going to be very limited. Next, I'm not going to be a true number one nor number two. I know Trevor Sycamore really likes the North Dakota State wide receiver Christian Watson, who had a really good practice again yeah. today. Six foot four, 211 pounds with 10 inch hands. He's got good size for the receiver position. It might be tough to see him fit into day two, but I agree with you. My biggest winner was Jalen Tolbert of South Alabama. And I will say this, not only did he win a ton of the one-on-ones early in the week, but then even when we went into the red zone, had a handful of really nice releases, got the ball in the red zone as well. And all of the defensive backs were consistently talking to Tolbert about like his game and all that stuff. I think a lot, he earned a lot of respect this week, even though maybe he had the, one of the smaller school helmets on for sure. Yeah. My biggest disappointment at the receiver position was the guy who came in as wide receiver two from sort of the rankings coming into this. And it was Romeo Dubs, the Nevada wide receiver. I thought he could have a similar week to what we saw from Jalen Tolbert. Like I, I see that I saw them see them. Yikes. I saw them almost in a similar light. Obviously he was higher on Tolbert, thought he had a little more explosiveness, a little better catch point stuff. But Dubs was just wholly unphysical as a route runner. I couldn't believe it. And he had one of the weirdest plays all week in practice where they're just running warm up sort of drills and Carson Strong hangs him to, out to dry by throwing him a go ball into the practice that's going on the other side of the field, which was one of the weirdest things that I don't know why I'm highlighting, but it was just like <laughs> couldn't believe my eyes that like his own quarterback threw him into uh, and he ran right into one of the coaches on the jet staff, which was wild to me. But dubs just like could not get off of physical corners. And it was something I highlighted for him at like the catch point that I thought with his size that that's what he should be better at and he never really was and i can kind of see now why like he's just not a guy he's a guy who wants to play like kind of a 510 190 wide receiver instead of the six foot one 200 plus pounder that he is i do think doves had a better day in the red zone today yeah. however because he can shake mm-hmm. guys like I, I think he relies on that a little too much because that's why i liked him is because he is capable of that which guys at that size not a lot of them are but then also you need to have you know, all aspects of the game. You need to have that physicality as well. And then you're a tough wide receiver to stop. If he goes to the NFL with what he showed here, he's going to get his cheeks pressed. That was not <laughs> what I really meant. Not how I really meant to say that, but uh, I'm going to move on. You Alec, know what I'm saying. <laughs> Alec Pierce uh, was my loser. I, I was excited to see him this week. The Cincinnati wide receiver who came in, I think six foot three, 208 pounds, who was one of the uh, players named on Bruce Feldman's freaks list, but you just haven't seen a lot from him. Not a lot of separation, was never really a big notable in the one on ones. And even in the red zone drills today, like, did not have all that much success. I thought Alec Pierce in these situations would have played better, especially against this defensive back group. I know we're going to talk about them a little bit more and how there wasn't really a guy there. It wasn't a talented, talented group on either side, really with the receivers or the cornerback. So Alec Pierce not showing out with the size, all this athleticism. I, I was a little disappointed for sure from Alec Pierce, but I do think that Dubs is another disappointing um, player from the receiver group this week. Tight end. We both have the same winner. I think it's obvious, right? Yeah. I think he was far and away the best tight end in attendance here. Colorado State's Trey McBride. Yeah, he was. And it was quite clear today, red zone with the tight ends. He, I think, had one rep out of the half dozen or so where he didn't just get open right away. And that was against Darren Beavers, the Cincinnati linebacker. But he is physical route. Like, he kind of has this all-around skill set. And, yeah, he's only 6'3", which is a little shorter than, you know, probably the vast majority of stars in the NFL, but he makes plays outside his frame very well as well. So I'm not super worried about that. Very physical as a blocker. I don't think he has any trump card and he's not a guy. I'm probably drafting first or second round. Truthfully, yeah. like I don't, he's not 
that I'm level glad we of can dynamic. get ahead of that, yeah, right? Like, because I do think, just, sorry to cut you off, but like yeah. with the first round, second round conversation, like I've seen Trey McBride consistently mocked at the back in the first rounds. I've seen him as top 30, top 40 mm-hmm. player. It's like maybe if you throw positional value out, you can start to think about him that way. But I am not touching Trey McBride probably in the first 50 picks, but still think he's very good, yeah. right? It's just the type of tight end he is. Yeah. That I, the, and it's the kind of the nature of the tight end position that they just are not moving the needle that much as pass catchers. So, and that's how I feel about Trey McBride. But compared to the rest of the class there, he was quite clearly the best in attendance. We did not embrace debate for the tight end position, mm-hmm. but Cole Turner was both our losers as well. But like well, this most disappointing. Oh, sorry. Losers. Most disappointing. Cole Turner, yeah. the Nevada receiver, man, it was, it was, I'm not- glad you said receiver because 246 pounds of six foot six, he was dr- dramatically Thin. skinnier than, than even like Isaiah likely, who was a guy who we said the coast Carolina tight end is like, that guy looks like a wide receiver on his tape. Cole Turner showed up and just, that's a just not a lot of mass throughout his lower half. Uh, already had question marks about him as a blocker. I don't think he's ever going to be that guy for you in the run game. And he wasn't even that guy in the passing. It was a more concerning thing. You yeah. thought maybe you can get by with him enough as a run blocker if he's this special pass catcher, but he was stuck on dudes all week long. I, I was disappointed in this tight end group overall, I think. I mean, I wanted to see more from Charlie Kolar, the Iowa State tight end. I wanted to see more from Greg Dolchich, a guy, Dolchich, who's six foot three, two forty eight with 11 inch hands. Isaiah Likely, who we've had on this podcast that we've liked at Coastal Carolina, six foot four, two forty one. None of those guys outside of Trey McBride really had like impressive weeks. And even with McBride, he played the best of all of them, but it was not a world beating week for McBride either. He had a couple of really good contested catches, but was never consistently creating separation and specifically mm-hmm. downfield. So I think Jim Nagy, we had him on and he talked about how good this tight end class is. I think it's good. And that's it, right? I don't think it's great. I don't think there are a lot of guys where you'd want to take them inside the top 50, top 60 picks and feel that good about them. Obviously translating into like legitimate success yeah. in the NFL. And, and honestly, after McBride, I'm not sure. I'm not sure this guy I want in the top hundred here. Like it, and that's not, it's kind of, an, again, back to the indictment of the tight end position as a whole. And just the fact that you can find guys who have this serviceable skill sets there later on in the draft. Before we get to offensive line and then on to defense, the tailgate podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance, it helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family like Mike Renner, wondering how to make your money grow. Western Southern's playbook, uh, playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. Last time we were in Mobile, you were considering starting a family with some of the people you met down here, but it's now moved past that, which I'm glad. I'm glad we're able to still see you single, see you single and kid-free. Off at the tackle. Your biggest winner was the guy I wanted to highlight as my biggest winner. I'll say it, but I do have a second biggest winner I want to highlight, so go ahead and kick yours off. Uh, yeah, my biggest winner at the offensive tackle position was Washington State's Abraham Lucas. I just thought on tape, you saw a holy raw player. Like the way he plays off tackle at Washington State is not how you can play off tackle in the NFL. Like he does not, he lets anyone and their mother into his shoulder pads. He has hands wide as can be. In the run game there, the concepts they run are not NFL concepts. I don't think I saw a combo block on his tape, like a single one. Like they just don't do that. Goes here. And using his hands a lot better. I, I think hitting his landmarks in pass protection a lot better. Actually looking like he belongs in the running game, like 
some of the blocks he had at the second level very, very impressive. So I always like what he could do physically, but I think you saw a massive leap in even from a few months ago when we saw him on tape in just in terms of technique. And he's probably obviously been putting in the work somewhere since then. And that's always something you like to see uh, from prospects. So a, a guy who I had, like I said, serious concerns from technical standpoint with his tape, who is in the process of answering those. And that's, that's a big, it's a big plus for him. And, and like I said, my biggest winner at the position. This and answering and answering those technical concerns with the frame he has is going to mean really good things for him yes. come draft day. Six foot six, three twenty two, nearly thirty five inch arms, eighty one and three eighth inch wingspan, over ten inch hands. That's what you want, right? From the offensive tackle position, there are other guys here that are a bit smaller or have shorter arms, where there are more conversations not about their technique but about their frame and how they can overcome that. Lucas, it's like, dude, you have it. Yeah. Let's see. Let's see you put it to work. I actually wanted to highlight Tulsa's Chris Paul. I thought he was really impressive in the one-on-one, specifically in pass protection. He's not the biggest guy here. I think that's been some of the concern with Chris Paul, but he has looked really good in pass protection. I, thought, I also thought his um, his technique was really good. He was one of the guys that even after his his pass sets would go and he'd finish the rep, he'd always close it out, just like doing a couple more, which I thought was kind of funny. But Chris Paul, six foot three, 324, 34-inch arms. He had a really good week. I did not watch a ton of his tape admittedly going into this week but coming out of it it's definitely one of those guys i want to go back and watch more of yeah it was like when you hit a three-pointer and mm-hmm. hold your follow-through yeah that's that was, was him doing. with his pass sets whereas after it was over he'd pump a few more a few that. more hands and be like yes eat that yeah, um, some swagger to him. I, I did like and he's a guy who is mean in the run game I, I think he could be an interesting guard convert because he's not the most fleet of foot and that even showed at times here but that dude is powerful his lower half lower body was about as, about as thick as anyone's in attendance. Um, so I was a fan of his as well. Lowest, lowest, uh, what were we calling this? Biggest disappointment. This this guy is the biggest guy here. You said uh, Chris Paul wasn't the biggest guy there. Daniel, Daniel Falale is the biggest guy there. He's one of the biggest guys in human history, in fact. Uh, <laughs> one of the biggest players in NFL history, college football history. And I think he's too big. I, I think on tape... You just saw I issues with him. <laughs> saw issues with him that I don't know if they get fixed. And at that size, you worry about injuries as well. And there are just things that, yeah, there's things that he's going to be able to do at that size that no one else is going to be able to do. Like he had reps where he would just touch linebackers seemingly and they'd fly off of him because that's the kind of power he just possesses in that mm-hmm. frame. But he also man, had reps, though, in pass protection where like if they did not win with their initial move. They're kind of they're like they can't get around him, right? Like he's that big. But there are some like some of the speed stuff is what killed him. Yeah, it's just it's not going to get fixed. Like like people view him as a project, but I think the things that I worry about him in terms of like being able to play low at six foot eight plus um, and that size, being able to react and mirror, being able to just have recoverability when you're a little off balance when it's that heavy like when you're when you're moving that much weight just it's different and i don't think that i just i don't see the athletic project that maybe others are seeing in terms of like fixability obviously unfortunate because i think he's an early fan favorite yeah. among draft you know draft oh, yeah. fans i mean i like see what like you you want these the freaks to to turn into that sort of theoretical potential. Yeah, it's yeah. like, oh, think of what 6'9", 3'90", can do moving like that. And it's like, yeah, but sometimes they just, it, it never becomes 
what you want it to become. My disappointing offensive tackle on the week was Max Mitchell of Louisiana, a guy that graded super well for us, has actually improved his PFF grade every year of his career at Louisiana. A lot of that in the run blocking, but in pass protection in these one-on-ones, he was a guy that was consistently coming back to the huddle kind of with his head held low. He was not... You know, he was not winning a lot of these one on ones and going against some of these pass rushers like Arnold Abiketti and Kingsley and Agbury. I mean, there's so many, ta- so many talented pass rushers here. I think he was a bit overmatched in pass protection. And even going back to his grading profile, right, he's never graded all that well in pass protection, even in his highest this past season. Just an 82.5 PFF pass blocking grade has never been in the upper 85s or anything along those lines. I think you saw that this week. Yes, he was just slim like like the physicality of it was too much i think he just sort of the concern on him being 299 pounds playing competition level he did not having that play strength was just amplified and and he's he was going up against jermaine johnson on a lot of those reps that really got exposed but like that's the nfl you yeah know? like those are the guys you're going to be facing next year so uh unfortunately for him did not have the best of weeks into your offensive line, I know you wanted to highlight former Georgia offensive tackle Jamari Salier, who's played a lot on the inside this week. Yeah, well, I'm just going to steal my who I was going to say. Well, I was just trying to give you a nice lead. Uh, yes, I'm going to say for the biggest winner on interior offensive line, Georgia offensive lineman Jamari Salier. He, uh, That's good. That's a surprise. Yeah, he, I know, right? He, he, so I, in the draft guide, said he's not a tackle. This guy isn't a tackle, but you really didn't see a ton of him at guard. And he had played guard. He played literally every position on the offline on his tape at Georgia, but hadn't show, seen a ton. And in Georgia, they don't pass protect a ton. It's a lot of RPOs, a lot of play action. You're not getting a lot of one-on-ones. That's obviously what the senior bowl is all about. So see a ton of those. I thought his hands were very heavy. I, I thought you saw a much more... Uh, under control guy who just was better in a phone booth just like when he can get his hands on you right away he can end reps and i think that's his biggest strength and he just struggled to locate guys basically when he was out at tackle having to play in space that's far less of an issue when you are on the inside so jamar salier wasn't super high on him i think this guy's one of i mean if talking about true guard prospects in this class he's going to be in the top i'd say five at this point if not higher than that my winner was actually Zion Johnson. Zion Johnson, yeah. the Boston College guard, who a lot of people like for his frame. And then he shows up in the one-on-ones and has played really, really well, playing a mixture of guard and center. He actually, too, after every single practice, even the rainy one on Wednesday, took extra snaps. He was just snapping and snapping and snapping, trying He's to show play center. Yeah. yeah, trying to show that he can play center or guard at the next level. I thought he was really, really impressive. And we had high expectations for Zion Johnson going in, but I think he's even exceeded those. Yes, I, I think you can see him ending up in the first round really like in terms of just like it's a clean guard prospect it, you're now we don't value guard obviously that much at pff I, we think you know we could, there's always ones you can find in the third or fourth round that end up being starters but yeah it, certainty teams will pay a premium for that sometimes and i think he's a fairly safe safe guard prospect your um, most disappointing most disappointing was tennessee's cade mace uh, this guy former five star started off his career at georgia by tackle in the past and has, you know, the physical size and honestly movement ability could have been a tackle, but was a mess anywhere he lined up this week and just really never developed from early on his Georgia career to transferring Tennessee to late on in his career at Tennessee to now here at the senior bowl. And he still just gets his hands taken away every time. 
and just doesn't have the feet to stick in front of dudes. I don't, I just, it was a bad week for Cade Mays. His, he's a late, he's a late round dude now after this. I mean, it was probably before, but kind of confirmed that here. Some others that I didn't even have high expectations on, but I just didn't want to continue to highlight the same loser you had. But Don't call them losers. Uh, loser. Disappointing. disappointing person. Andrew Stuber of Michigan, Cole Strange of Chattanooga. Both those guys were on the receiving end of some beatings from mm-hmm. the interior defensive line. On the other side there, I think Stuber um, you know, was driven back more than maybe you expected with his size. And Cole Strange, like whether it was at Sard, Sard center or Sard. guard, Sard. Cole Strange really did struggle to like hold his own. Now, there were some reps where he did win, but I felt like, you did not like seeing how often he was bowled into the quarterback this week against some of the defensive tackles. We'll probably highlight soon. Yeah. All right. Defense tackles. Let's do it. Devontae. You want to tell no. no, you were just going to do it again. I did it. I did it again. But I mean, he's the mo- he's obviously the biggest winner. This guy was insane. Yes. Devontae Wyeth, Georgia defensive tackle was tough, man. Uh, that, that guy throws a difficult package at you. Like, he keeps making like these what? things. I mean, he has a what? difficult package to to defend against with his Same. speed, his power, and his agility. It's like, so what like, did you say before? Your your cheeks pressed? And his feet. <laughs> yeah. He's got his cheeks pressed. Um, He's got a difficult- he was pressing cheeks all week. <laughs> uh, Devontae Wyatt, though, this guy is it's not only like a lot. Of, I feel like a lot of the DTs that have, you know, he's probably going to run somewhere in the low four nines to high four eights in terms of at 307 pounds, which is already freaky. But a lot of those guys that come out and have that straight line juice, the Neville Gallimores of the world, the uh, Justin Matabukis of the world, are, one, about 10 to 15 pounds lighter than him. And two, it is just in a straight line. They try to do anything. That's the side to side. They try to do anything laterally, and it doesn't look the same. With Wyatt, I mean, he would hit you with – he was hitting guys with, like, Euro steps, uh, which is – it doesn't happen a lot, defense tackles. That, that's a move for 250-pound edge rushers. And Devontae Wyatt's coming off the ball, giving that to guys. And, and I think you saw a little bit more, a few more bull rushes from him this week than he ever put on tape from Georgia. And, yeah, he's on the older end. I believe he's going to be 24 when he gets drafted, um, which a little worrisome. But I think it's more worrisome for like guys who are strength players, guys who get by on that sort of physical dominance of like power. Whereas this guy gets by on pure athletic dominance that that ain't going to be changed at the NFL level. There's not a lot of guards that have the feet to match up with Devontae Wyatt still. So I, I was a fan of what he put on tape. I don't, he lost maybe a rep in the one-on-ones. It was an impressive week. It's the speed, right? The speed at that size was insane. I'm going to highlight two, actually. I'm going to go for a twofer here. Two winners for Do me, it. Travis Jones and Perion Winfrey. These are guys that really exploded um, on days two and three of this one. I think Travis Jones showed that he has a nasty bull rush, a ton of strength, can yeah. go through guys every single time. And Perion Winfrey, he has that same bully type of strength too and had won with a lot of bull rushes, but also had some good speed to him as well, a lot of energy, the Oklahoma defensive tackle Perion Winfrey. I think both of those guys rose their stock significantly, probably by a half round with how they showed up this week. Yeah, Travis Jones, I would say expect him to come off in the top 50 picks. Maybe not, probably not first round, but if if he's still there at pick 50, I'd be surprised because he looks like a pretty safe bet to be a starting caliber nose tackle for a long time. And and not just like your run defending Devon Hamilton type who went like around, what, 52 or something in that range. Um, but this guy also was like throwing guards, centers, like 
has some real pass rushing potential to him and has 34 inch arms, 6'4, 326. Like that's an ideal build for a nose tackle as well. So big fan of his. And that Perion Winfrey is a guy that I just his tape and the scheme at Oklahoma was so difficult for his evaluation here. You really saw the juice he brings to the table and kind of play with a lot more violence and uh, urgency than I saw on tape at Oklahoma. And, and again, some of that can be the scheme that he's in. So, so for Perron Winfrey with 35 and a half inch arms and 85 and five eighths inch wingspan, a freaky build for a defensive tackle. Um, I, I think he's firmly in the second round mix now. Your biggest disappointment on the interior off defensive line. My biggest disappointment was Alabama DT Federian Mathis. Um, a dude that I, I still think is going to be a good NFL player. Don't get me wrong. I still think he's a solid NFL player, but I think that's kind of it. Like he, he is a struggle to call guys capped that, that there's no room for improvement, mm-hmm. but he kind of just is what he is, which is a great two gapper, a great pocket pusher who isn't going to actually beat you one-on-one with a lot. I, he lost a lot of reps where he tried to, you know, the vast majority of reps where he actually tried to put a move on you or whatever, just didn't go anywhere. Like his best reps were just trying to go straight through guys, trying to get into their pads and then separate. That's just going to be who he is. That's kind of who he is athletically and with his build. So a no nonsense type of player. Like I said, he's still going to be a solid NFL pro, but I've seen him um, top 50 of big boards. And I just don't think that's a top 50 pick. Yeah, I, I think that's a guy you find in the third round. I think I'm going to have Federian Mathis as my biggest disappointment as well. But a name I wanted to bring up, which is kind of more of an unfortunate situation, is Haskell Garrett, who did not have like a fantastic week. I do think that there, there were some reps on day two where it was great. But today, you just, think, you just saw the size show up. It just doesn't have the power behind him. Yeah. The size. The day, today, though, I think in a rep against Stuber, the Michigan offensive lineman, he gets hurt. Right, He yeah. goes down, looked like a shoulder injury. He was slow to get up. They moved, from, moved on pretty quickly from practice, but he did not return. I, It looks unlikely with even regard. I don't, I don't want to speak to what the injury is, but it looks unlikely that he'll play in the game coming up. I think Haskell Garrett, that is just maybe not a disappointment, but obviously unfortunate for a guy who's obviously pushing his way into the league. Edge defender, your biggest winner. Yeah, so Jermaine Johnson, let's get out of the way. The Florida State edge was the best of anyone in a 10 inch, but I thought D'Angelo Malone, the Western Kentucky edge. I liked what I saw from him in terms of he's six foot three, 234 pounds. He is not big. Get that out of the way, but he has 33 inch arms, which is uh, I'd say average for edge. Like for um, is very much passable on the edge and had multiple. And this is the key here, multiple bull rush wins on his tape, like playing, through off posing offensive tackles to where you could see this guy become a legitimate DPR at the next level to where on passing downs, if you're you know, a team that likes to run stunts, likes to run games or run, have like a bunch of linebackers walked up on the line of scrimmage, this is a guy you're probably going to covet because I think that the obvious, the pass rushing tools are there. You just worry about, can he play with power? Does he have multiple ways to win? I think he showed, a little bit more of that this week. I had Jermaine Johnson here as obviously a big winner, but the name I wanted to focus more on was Minnesota's Boye Mafe, who I think had some of the highest pass rush win rates of any player in attendance here at, at the Senior Bowl. PFF does track those win rates in every single rep and even beat Bernard Ryman on a rep as well, one of the top-ranked tackles here in attendance for the Senior Bowl. Mafe still want to see more in the run game. I think an interesting thing is Boye Mafe, I think, showed what I wanted to see from Maje Sanders as a pass rusher. But then Maje Sanders showed what I wanted to see from Boye Mafe in run defense and the team drills and stuff like that. Like, Sanders looked Whoa. good in run defense. Whoa. 
What? That was a lot to throw at me. Was it a lot? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Boye Mafe looked good as a pass rusher, not great in run defense, whereas Maje Sanders did not look great in the one-on-ones as a pass rusher, but did show up in run defense, even had some really impressive reps against Daniel Falele. So Mafe may be an incomplete player, and I would say maybe Maje Sanders something similar, but I still think a winner in that he's able to go up against some of these top off with the tackles and put on, some, put on a show. Okay, my biggest disappointment. I'm going to go Zachary Carter from Florida. And now he's a tweener, 6'3", 287. So he's really probably not an edge. I think that's the biggest thing is why he's a disappointment because he's just, I don't think he can play off the edge and rest the passion. I, I don't think that's where you want him to be. And then at 287 pounds, I'm not sure you want him inside in run defense. I, he's just, he is that tweener body type and it showed a lot of reps this week. And now he won more from the interior as pass rusher. That's where he can win, but... I just have concerns about if he's going to play, you know, a full workload uh, because, again, doesn't have a great positional fit. I'm kind of, I kind of cheated with my biggest disappointment. Okay. My biggest disappointment is Cameron Thomas, San Diego State. He did oh, not play all week. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Did not oh. play all week. He had a hamstring injury that I think he suffered last Wednesday and got into, got into pads on the first day of practice, did some warm-ups, did not like how it felt, and then I'm not practicing all week and will not be playing in the game. And this is a guy that was consistently mocked at the back end of the first round, right? A former San Diego State legend, 6'4", 264, 33 and 18-inch arms with 10-inch hands. I thought he'd show up, and if he had a good week, could really cement his first-round status. Mm-hmm. Now, with Jermaine Johnson coming up the board, I think people like Arnold Rebichetti out of Penn State. It's getting to the point where, can you also put Cameron Thomas in there? You want Zion Johnson in the back of the first round? This is the stuff that separates it, right? If you do have this injury, a lot of it is availability in the pre-draft process, if you can't test, if you can't go to these all-star bowls, you could see yourself fall to people where you just have more tape on, right? More tape, more positive tape. So I do think Thomas, I don't know how much we'll see him mocked in the first round moving forward. I think there will be other these names, right? These names we've talked about that actually had a chance to perform at the senior bowl that do replace him ultimately in those top 32 picks. And I also will just add to Thomas's sort of not having a great week of, he was listed at 6'5", 275 which that that sort of conjures up a certain type of edge rusher. And on tape, he, he kind of filled that niche of a guy who has this interior versatility, wins a lot inside as well, can line up over offensive tackles and two-gap if you need him to. He can be that guy for you. And he shows up 6'4", 264, which 264 is not an interior player. You're, you're going to struggle to get by even as – a four or five technique head, head up over an offensive tackle at the next level with 33 and eighth inch arms, like just kind of a uh, struggle. I'm not, it's not a mediocre body type, but it's not that versatile body type that can go inside and outside. Like he did at San Diego state. That's an edge. Like he is going to be on the edge. So it's going to be concerning to see or to have not seen how he can win the edge. Cause he was a guy we've highlighted before was an inside move. He was not a bend the edge type of rusher. Uh, that's not his game. And so, we just don't know now. So, I, I, like I said, I don't think he's going to be in a lot of first-round mocks moving forward. My biggest winner for off-ball linebacker. I'm just going to flip the I order. flipped the order accidentally in the rundown, but I kind of love it. I kind of no. like keeping people. I'm going to start. No, nope. okay, Brian Osmo is the biggest winner at the linebacker position. Screw whoever you were going to say as your biggest winner. Now, uh, what? Oklahoma's Brian Osamoa is a possible first-rounder after this. I'm just going to say it. Wow. Do not be surprised if this guy goes first round. If Jamin... Effin Davis can go in the first round because he's a freak athlete. And I think Brian Osamoa, he was a Bruce Feldman's freaks guy. At 220 pounds, he benches or squats over 500 pounds is why he made 
Bruce Feldman's freaks list. Um, he has a freaky build too at six foot one, 222 pounds. He has 33 and what five eighths inch arms. The guy is lanky for days. And that reminds me a lot of Jeremiah Wusukoromoa. Um, just in terms of the explosiveness and physicality plays with that size to where I'm not worried about at all about that size. I mean, it'll show up at times, but he can play in the box and take on offensive tackles. He stacked Trevor Penning in a ref. Trevor Penning, baddest dude on the block. <laughs> he goes right up, puts his two hands in his chest, throws him to the side. Like he, it, Brian Osamoa is the real deal in terms of complete all around modern NFL linebacker skill set to where, like I said, I think this guy should be in the first round conversation after this week. Osamo was a guy you literally talked about every day this week. He's just a very impressive athlete. And I was floored that no one else, no one else talked to talking about him. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. But, yeah. but this is also not a great showcase for linebackers and why, you know, in the one-on-ones, if you're watching at practice, you're watching the wide receivers or you're watching oh, the line, no one's watching the fucking running backs go up against linebackers. Mm-hmm. Except for your boy. Except for me. I'm doing it. <laughs> no, I didn't. My, my, my biggest winner was Darian Beavers of Cincinnati. I think he's a guy that I've talked to you about pretty much every day this week. I've been, been, been a big fan of Beavers. Six foot four, two fifty two, thirty two and five eighth inch arms with an eighty one inch wingspan. And he, in addition to having really good size for the linebacker position, I felt never at any point was being out athleted for lack of a better term. Like there That's are some of these term. some it's of these the guys. Best term. Some of these guys that show up this big at linebacker just get dusted, yeah. dusted in the running back linebacker drills, dusted um, in the passing game in general. But he was not like he could hold his own. He was physical, played well, really down. I mean, I, I think this guy is going to be a very solid player in the NFL. I think you can start to consistently see him mocked yeah. in this pick 40 to 70 range. I think in that midday two range for Darian Beavers. And you're going to be really excited about what you get. Cause I think he has special teams floor as well. I think Darian Beavers kind of solidified himself as one of those guys that I really like at linebacker on day two. Yeah. He's not, he's not going to match up with wide receivers. That's, that's not who he is, but tight ends. Oh yeah. Uh, he looked good against tight ends this week. He had some of the best reps that anyone had against Trey McBride, the Colorado State tight end, who we highlight as the biggest winner. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think Darian Beavers, that's a, it's a day two type of linebacker after this week. Your biggest loser? Not loser. Oh, my gosh. I keep saying it. Your biggest disappointment. Disappointment. I think I'm going to go with you. I had a different guy written down, but I expected a little more from Chad Muma, the, y- the Wyoming linebacker. He was nondescript as can be in the past rushing drills. And that was kind of something you saw on his tape. It's like, he's 6'2", 241. And if you would have told me he's 227 pounds, I probably would have believed you. Because on his tape, there's just, it's not physical. No. But as a run and chase, speed is tremendous. It's what you want at the position. But the 241 pounds is almost doing nothing for him at this point because he goes backwards on contact too often. He is not a take-on guy. And it just showed a lot. And then you also didn't have a lot of high-end reps and coverage. So, yeah, Chad Muma at that point loved the instincts and, like I said, loved the speed. But the physicality or lack thereof is going to be an issue in the NFL. I really thought that he, you know, I, you know, there's, there's drills where he goes running back tight end. Yeah. Or no, tight end versus linebacker, running back versus linebacker in the passing game, where I was really concerned and where I was wanting to highlight him as my biggest disappointment was when he was rushing the passer. Rushing the passer in these like running back versus linebacker, you know, pass blocking drills and getting bullied, like absolutely bullied. 
that just can't happen at his size and with his athleticism. And I think that was where I really kind of drew the lines line in the sand for me to say, like, okay, this is not, he's not ascending coming out of this week. Yeah. And so he's actually an inch taller to go back to Asamoah and how freaky this dude is. He's an inch taller than Brian Asamoah and almost five inches smaller wingspan. Oh my gosh. Brian Asamoah is an 80 inch wingspan. It's just over six foot. <laughs> That's insane. And Chad Those arms. at 75. Those arms. Cornerbacks, your biggest winner. My biggest winner at cornerback. and I have the was, same one as you. It was, one, it, was, it was tough to pick, but I think I, the reason I picked you, and I'll let you go, but this guy of anyone was getting so yeah. many positive views from the coaches, and it was Tariq Castro-Fields. Yes. Tariq yes. Castro-Fields was consistently – Yeah, the Penn State corner was getting consistently praised by the defensive backs coaches here at the Senior Bowl for the efforts that he was making. I'll say this. Not a lot of other defensive backs were getting that kind of praise. <laughs> yeah, he, I think, quite easily has the best press technique of anyone there. And, like, actual physical press. Roger McCreary's great in press coverage, but as, like, a press and run type of corner where he's not going to lock you down at the line of scrimmage. He, he gets the press to maintain that sort of contact, whereas Tariq Castro-Fields would shut down reps at the line of scrimmage at times. 31 and 8th inch arms. Good size at six foot one ninety four. He was, uh, he was definitely impressive in certain reps. But again, uh, up and down. He's not a match man corner. He is not going to easily and smoothly follow you across the football field. He has to win there at the line with his physicality. For biggest disappointment, I wanted to go with someone that wasn't one of the small school guys. Right, there were some small school guys here. That- oh yeah, actually yours is yours is dead right. I screwed up with mine. I, I, I originally had Tariq Woolen, the UTSA, because I was had high hopes for what how freaky this dude is at 6'3", over 200, with just this pterodactyl wingspan. But I was going to go with Darian Kendrick. Darian Kendrick. Darian Kendrick, Georgia the corner. Georgia cornerback. He did have some better reps today in the red zone stuff, but when they were doing the vertical routes in the field, right, in days one and two, he just did not look in place, right? He just did not look like... Darion Kendrick of Georgia, right? One of these guys that a lot of people coveted as a top 50 player in this class. You did not see top 50 talent. I'm glad you wrote down Woolen because he's a disappointment because he shows up and he's like, that's the freakiest defensive back I've ever seen. Yeah. How big he is, how long his arms are, how long his legs are. Chris Ballard was right there on the sideline. You know how much he loves long cornerbacks. Mm-hmm. He was watching Woolen very closely here at the Senior Bowl. That's the type of cornerback he likes. But even then, there were times where you run a slant against Woolen and he gets your hand on you, you're toast. But if you burn him at the line, it's not going to happen, he's right? Tough. Like he's not—he's not going to be able to make have, have that makeup speed. But I have Darian Kendrick as the biggest loser as well. Yeah, Kendrick's just—he's not fast. Uh, he's not—he's not—he's not like at even the to me at the, like the athletic threshold that you want for a starting cornerback in the NFL. I think that was the biggest thing that just stood out is that it, there's no to bring up Chris Ballard. He always preaches recover. How can you recover? Because you're gonna. You're going to lose in some ways on defense, or you're going to be behind in some ways on defense. You're always reacting. He, yeah, he covets guys that have some way of recovering, and I just don't see what Darren Kendrick has to help him recover. Closing out the biggest winners and biggest disappointments, you we both have Jalen Petrie of Baylor there. I don't think anyone's coming away from this practice, Mike, without saying, holy shit, Jalen Petrie is really good. Jalen Petrie, the Baylor safety slash you know, slot cornerback, was by far the most impressive in the one-on-ones. And honestly, he was really impressive in team too. Like his physicality showed up all week. Yeah, he's, so he's only 5'10", 196, but he's, that doesn't bother me whatsoever. Like that size is, who cares with the way he plays the game of football. And and in the one-on-ones and coverage, like 
he was the best regardless of position, <laughs> you know, like, and, and he's, and he's a slot corner slash safety looking better than any of the outside corners there when matched up one-on-one. There's just, it's not a lot of holes in this dude's game. Biggest disappointment for me, man, is because coming off the bus, Yusuf Corker of Kentucky, 5'11", 204, mm-hmm. is an intimidating dude. He is jacked up. Like, I, this guy could probably play running back. I don't know. But he was really stiff, though. I think you saw a lot of stiffness in his game. And when you're getting defensive backs, when they're playing in so much space, you don't want to see when pressed to move side to side, like in a, cl- in a clutch situation, mm-hmm. in a one-on-one drill, them struggle. Right. And you saw that a lot with Yusuf Corker, despite how like rocked up this dude is. I don't I, I, I was disappointed when uh, when you actually turned on the tape. Fair. Fair point. I went differently. I went with Miami's Sterling Weatherford. I believe I've called him a poor man's Kyle Hamilton. And that's purely because he is kind of physically built like Kyle Hamilton. He's six shade over six foot three, 230 pounds, 31 and three eighths inch arms and played safety at Miami. Now. The reason I was disappointed is because he comes here, has added about 10 pounds to play linebacker in the NFL. He comes in to try to play linebacker and couldn't even guard running backs. He still looked out of place against running backs, which was the scary thing. It's like this guy, you're thinking safety. Oh, you must have this coverage ability. And it, it didn't see it. No, it was, a, <laughs> it was a disappointing week for Sterling Weatherford for sure. How we wanted to close this out before <clears throat> we get out, though, is first rounders. Who yes. wins? Who in the Senior Bowl do we feel pretty confident will come off the board in the first three or two picks? Before we do, proud sponsor of the Tailgate Podcast, your favorite. Roses are red, violets are blue. Don't let a wild pube wreck you. Valentine's Day is just around the corner, and our sponsors at Manscaped are here for you with the best tools to get your balls ready for the special occasion. This V-Day, it's time to join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped, the leaders in below-the-waist grooming. With our exclusive offer, go to manscaped.com and use code PFF for 20% off plus free shipping. The holidays went by so quickly. Do you remember? Did you even remember to take care of your package with the best tools for the job? The complete package? Devontae Wyatt did. The, <laughs> the performance package 4.0 on Manscaped is just the thing every guy needs in their life to make each and every day just a little more. That was aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> every day of your life gets better with Manscaped. I'd like to propose making February 13th a national holiday as National Shave Your Balls Day. Who's with me? I think this one is holiday that men and women can get behind Manscaped, create their products for a night that, like this will make your V-Day, say, V-Day date say, wow, great set of balls you have there. Speaking of shaving, get off the this topic. One. This topic? You mean this read that I have to get through still? Yeah. Oh, is it still going? <laughs> Continue. Get 20% off and free shipping with code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code PFF. Join Cupid and shoot your arrow up with Manscaped this Valentine's Day. Wow. Great set of balls you have there. All right. So here in Mobile, I'm sharing room with you. I have been for the last whatever week and a half. You... Shave your face the first night here. And I couldn't help but notice you weren't using the lawnmower 4.0 to do so. I wasn't. I use it for... And I can't double dip. Secondly, I double dip, but I have two different blades. Oh, you do? Yeah. But you still use two the different same, blades. You still use... I don't even The like rest that. isn't touching much. I'll just say that. But... Um, I know. I still think that's a lot. That's close to the vest. And sometimes you forget to swap the blade. No, I don't Or forget. I swap I, a blade for you, just, and you're like, uh, <laughs> I've done I that before. Um, no, you did not. What'd and you mark them with? Pubes versus face? What'd you mark them with? <laughs> with spot on my counter. Um, and you had hair all over the goddamn stuff. I know. I was in a rush. did not clean it. I was in a rush. It was. Senior Bowls were in a jam-packed week. Yeah. Manscaped, I still use the Lawnmower 4.0. Don't you think for a second I don't. 
I just use a different razor on my face. I don't. Gotta keep I it. The, the performance lawn, package 1.0 is exclusively used for the it's download. It's still treatment. the lawn. It's still a lawn that I want to protect. <laughs> um, first rounders, though. Go Here ahead. we go. I, I think coming out of this, I am willing to say, I'll say four guys I feel certain from here are going to be first rounders. I think wow. Malik Willis is going to be a first rounder, the Liberty quarterback. Mm-hmm. Bernard Raymond. Yes. The Central Michigan tackle is going to be a first rounder. Trevor Penning, the Northern Iowa tackle is going to be a first rounder. And then Jermaine Johnson, the Florida State edge, he is also going to be a first rounder. Feel good saying that. I think there are strong possibilities that Sam Howell, Kenny Pickett, Desmond Ritter are still first rounders at the quarterback position. There are strong possibilities that Zion Johnson at guard is a first rounder. Devontae Wyatt at Georgia. Arnold Ebiketti from Penn State, the edge rusher. Brian Osamoa, the Oklahoma linebacker, and then Jalen Petrie, the Baylor safety. I think all those guys are in the conversation now for first-rounders. What say you in terms of do you like my locks? Do you want to You had Trevor Penning else? as a lock. I have Trevor Penning as a lock. Do you want to add anyone else to that list? I think that's tough, subtract? right? I think it's important, too, to kind of set the stage with first-rounders. I think this conversation for the 2022 class is different because we were talking about this before. In 2021... I would take probably 10, 11, 12 of those guys before I take even one from the 2022 class. Really? When you think about the five quarterbacks, Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle. Is this in revisionist history in terms of like? I don't think so, right? Did you have a single, would you take a single receiver in this class over Smith, Waddle, or Chase? Wait, that's like a different conversation. Okay. You're talking about Aiden Hutchinson. Yeah. It's 12 guys you would take over Aiden Hutchinson from last year. I think so. I think there might be that many. Okay. Where Sean Slater, disagree. who would you take? Who would you? I mean, I would have taken Aiden Hutchinson over Sean Slater as a prospect. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I would take Aiden Hutchinson over like Devontae Smith as a prospect. So that's probably your cutoff. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I would, I, I thought, I thought we'd have those players, right? I'd have those players rank higher. Okay. But, that's why I was trying to frame the conversation where you think like, oh, is he a first round player? I do think that this this class is different. Like yeah. this class is a lot different. You're going to see some of these guys sneak in the back end that maybe in like other classes wouldn't be first rounders. But I, I think Arnold Ebiketti sneaking in, I think is a possibility. I do like Jermaine Johnson as a lock. Bernard Raymond as a lock. Trevor Penning's interesting. I think the the penalties are a wild one. I think some offensive line coaches will like that. And obviously, I think you should lock in more than one quarterback. There's no way only one quarterback goes in the first round, right? Yeah. I I think Sam Howell is going to be a first rounder too, just based off the talent and like he has had good years and, and is a true junior coming out. It's so different than he's the only one. He's the only third year player in this draft class, the quarterback position. So, um, yeah, I could lock Sam Howell. Willis Howell, Raymond Penning, Johnson as your locks, I think are great. Five. I'm not- that's fine. That's yeah. not bad. That's not bad. I think maybe some other sneak in. I think we ultimately said there's probably eight here, right? Maybe, maybe at most. Um, yeah, I, 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 I would honestly be floored if Devontae Wyatt's not a first rounder after this week. Yeah. I, I just think he was that good. It's going to test that well. And teams still need DTs. And it's like when it's a weak DT class, they get pushed up. You know, you're not going to find, you're not going to find a dude running a four nine in the third round. Uh-huh. Yeah. Actually, you might, but he's going to stink out. So. <laughs> That's going to do it for this episode of Tailgate. This will be our last episode for this week. Next time you'll hear from us, we'll be on our way to L.A. for the Super Bowl. A lot of traveling, dude. We are traveling like a monster right now. I am excited, though. Definitely excited to get to the Super Bowl. Have you ever been to the Super Bowl? 
No. I haven't either. I'm excited. Should be quite the time. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. We'll be getting to the mailbags again soon. No mail, no, no mailbag this week, but we should be getting to the mailbags again here in the near future, maybe down in the Super Bowl for that. Until next time, Austin Gale, Mike Renner. Bye.